This podcast is sponsored by Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo by visiting globalshopsolutions.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings and Media Draft podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. And today we're talking about uh, our favorite thing in the world, and that's um, bigs, obviously. You know, we're, we're a draft that is a draft podcast is just known for, for loving bigs. We were all the biggest Alperin Shingun fans, and, uh, you know, we really loved Giorgos Papayanis when he was coming in. We're just all in on, uh, no, but in all seriousness, we are going to talk about some bigs, and this is a little more exciting than I'm showing it as, because uh, these are sort of the top bigs, I think. We're not talking about a guy I might have as one of the top bigs, Jalen Williams, because I'm not confident he's going to declare, and I want to wait to hear on that before we do a big deep dive on him. But these are four guys I'm, I'm pretty confident are going to end up in this draft, and, and I'm excited to break them down. Uh, before we get too into it, uh, Coop Stone, my friends, how you doing? Doing well. Um, excited to talk bigs, even though there's a lot of parallels within the four of them. But um, it, you know, it should be fun. There's, I think, bigs oftentimes uh, get sold as pretty blanket statement or, or archetypes, and I think there's a little bit more nuanced discussion to be had. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, you know, we're known for our love specifically of unscalable bigs. Uh, we were all Charles Bassey stands last year. Uh, I know we all had him top 20. I even had him lotto, but. Uh, Philip Petrusev as well, don't forget. Oh yeah, the guy the guy got ousted by Drew Timmy and Anton Watson. Uh, real NBA guy right there. Um, just, we love bigs. Really excited to talk about these four bigs specifically. Um, well, only two of them, but we'll, we'll get into them. I hope people know that we're kidding. I didn't have Charles Bassey top 20, just to clarify. Yeah, we are, we are in fact being facetious here, um, but I think uh, that's a fun place to start. Let's okay. So we're gonna start with Jalen Duran, who is another player who's given me an existential crisis during this this cycle. So make that five now, uh, and we are only. This is we're gonna talk about like our like eight through twelfth guy here. So you know, great start. Um, Duran plays at Memphis. He is putting up stats that wouldn't lead you to believe he's like a top pick. You know, only 12 points a game, shooting about 60% from the field, about 62% from the line, eight rebounds, and a, you know, an assist and a half, almost two and a half turnovers, two blocks, which is good, but less than a full steal a game. But I think the sell with him goes well beyond uh, the box score stat line specifically, and even the advanced stats with him. The advanced stats don't really pop aside from that 9.9 block percentage. Um, but I think he is a really, really interesting guy. Uh, and the place I want to start with him is just one, he's really young. He's, I think he's going to be the youngest player in this class. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he is very young and he is very athletic. Um, his athleticism really interests me because he does a lot of interesting things on the floor with his athleticism. For one, the explosiveness is, is incredibly impressive. He's only about 6'9". Uh, he's listed at 6'11", but that is patently false. Um, but he plays like he's 6'11", because he can just get so high. Um, he doesn't need a ton of load time. His footwork into jumps is really excellent. Um, he's fast in the open court as well. He runs the floor hard. Uh, Coop, 
as the resident AAC expert, where are you, like, like what level in, in the spectrum of center defenders, where does Duran rank as a athletic specimen? I think that he's going to be pretty top tier, especially as a not even 19 year old by the time the season starts. Uh, he will barely be 18 and a half by the time the draft is actually here. Um, and like he is routinely getting his head to the rim, head above the rim. Uh, and like his combination of being 6'9 with a ridiculous 7'5 wingspan and being able to move the way he can, have the instincts he can. Uh, I mean, he's got one of the most ridiculous lob radiuses that I've seen from a prospect. Um, I mean, like there just aren't very many guys that can move like him vertically and north-south. He's not like a perfect horizontal mover. He's not moving laterally super well. But, uh, you know, you're just wanting him to be able to play in a drop maybe, you know, play at the level a little bit, then he's going to be like top, top tier, probably top 10 in the NBA as an athlete, as a center, you know, at that position. Uh, I don't think that there's many guys that can jump that high with his body, with his strength, uh, with his athleticism. I mean, it's just, it's a really unprecedented combination of athleticism and skills, especially at 18. So something you mentioned was the strength I was actually a little overwhelmed or underwhelmed by the strength. He's listed at 230. That seems about accurate, which is fine for someone who's like a 6'9 big. But I actually thought he got pushed around a little more than I expected. Um, in the Houston game specifically, um, Fabian White made him look like a baby on quite a few box outs where Fabian White just sort of pushed him out of the way. Now, Fabian White is is a big, strong man. Don't get me wrong. And Duran definitely has the... the um, uh, the time to improve on his body. Like, I, I don't think it's a problem long-term, but I don't think the strength is great right now. Uh, you can see quite a few guards, like when he tries to get vertical, if a guard is really has a load up, even if they're smaller guards, can put their shoulder down and sort of push them off enough to get a shot off uh, around the rim. So I think that probably hurts his immediate translation. I don't know if it hurts him long-term as a prospecting, but that's something I noticed, but I'm definitely with you. He's a powerful two-foot athlete and he can get up off one, even though I, I don't think that's his, Idea. He really does like to. He does this little hop into his into his primary jump, where he likes to. His if his feet are apart, he kind of jumps once and brings them closer together, and then he explodes off that. It's quick, so like I think he gets off the ground really quick. It, it's not like someone who we'll talk about later, Mark Williams, who really needs to to get low and load up into his jumps. But um, he does he does like to have that little bit of load. I think the second jump is really good. Again, the, the open the open court athleticism. Uh, I was, I'm I'm iffy on the horizontal athleticism. He doesn't get super low in a stance on defense, um, and he's good when he moves one way. But as soon as he has to sort of flip his hips or take a drop step, he, he's he's pretty poor at that. Um, he's okay at keeping them from getting all the way to the rim, but he does give them quite a uh, guards he switched onto quite a bit of space for jumpers. Um, Stone, do you have anything to add on, on the athleticism? Um, <clears throat> athletically, I mean, I think you guys pretty much covered it. The only thing uh, I think that stood out to me is he's pretty good at absorbing contact um, on both ends, I think, uh, both finishing through guys, um, but also um, on the other end where 
guys bump into him, especially like in his upper body and his chest area. I felt like he's, he's pretty good at absorbing contact and um, staying on course. So I liked that from him athletically, uh, but everything else, like uh, um, it's pretty much everything you guys said. I'm not going to add too much to the conversation there. If I can just uh, jump in real quick, like what you were saying, Bryce, a lot of your, your worries, I think aren't like with his body itself, but more with his ability to use it. Right. Like a lot of it's his technique. Uh, like specifically I, I saw the, I know what clip you're talking about, especially where Reggie Cheney was throwing him around. And uh, I think it's that these guys are a lot older and are specific, like Reggie Cheney specifically, his entire job is go in and fuck with the other opposing big and bother them and make sure they can't do their job. Uh, and he's got like four years on Duran. I think it's a lot of, it's just technique and, like being able to use his body it's oh he doesn't know exactly how to flip his hips he doesn't know exactly how to like stay vertical he just doesn't have like he has the tools to do it all he just hasn't put it all together yet because of the age uh, and I think that's something that'll come with time I think that's a fair read and I definitely think that's possible um even though I, I'm not it's not 100 it'll come around right even if it's likely that it comes around I think it is important to still point out that they are issues right now and they could not resolve um, I think I want to move on to his offense, offensive game as a whole. Um, something I was sort of brainstorming when we were in, in our group chat for this that I, that I wanted to bring up because I thought it was interesting enough that we could talk about it on the pod. I think there's three levels of offensive bigs, right? <clears throat> so you have your, what I, I called them wing bigs. And these are the top, top offensive bigs in the league. And think of this as guys like Nikola Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, these are guys who basically don't even play as a big at all, aside from the occasional post-up, and are almost wings. They play a lot on the perimeter. They make a lot of passes. They shoot. They can score in isolations, all that type of stuff. And then you have your sort of what I call like, like high-end offensive bigs. And these are, this is where like a Joel Embiid falls in because he, he does do a lot of his damage in the post, but he is a good um, he, he's obviously the best at that. Um, but even guys like Demonis Sabonis, I put here, he can, he, you know, operate a DHO, Nikola Vucevic, Wendell Carter Jr. Who slaps, um, you know, guys who can operate a DHO can pass a little bit, can score down low, can maybe stretch the floor, but you know, not super high volume guys. And then you have your play finishers and that's, you know, the top guys in the league at that Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, um, even like, you know, if you wanted to really make it all bigs and not just top off with the bigs, this is probably where like a Mike Muscala would fall as well. Um, because like he just shoots, uh, you know, so, so guys like that, um, I think the real question of offensive ceiling for Durant is interesting because I, I'm confident saying he's going to be a very good level three big because he can really finish at the rim if he's dunking. We'll talk about the nuances of that later. He can, I think he'll be able to, to shoot okay. The passing is interesting. We'll talk about that a little more. The ball handling is not there at all. Uh, so he's, there's sort of this question. And, and over the course of our conversation about his offense, <laughs> excuse me, I want to keep that in the back of our minds because at the end, I want to say, like, what, does he need to do to be able to get to that level two? I don't think there's a, there's a world where he's like a level three without super, super outlier development because few people are. That's why I only mentioned Towns and Jokic. Like those are the only guys who fill that top, top 
level of offensive value. But I think I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting question to see whether or not he can get to that level two sort of high-end big. So let's start with sort of just how good do you think he's going to be as a role man stone, mixing in his, his potential passing in the short role and his, and his finishing around the rim? Um, I think he's going to be like an elite roller. Um, I, that's the, my favorite part of about Duran is his rolling. Um, and he's just spectacular at it. He's a fantastic passer. I think in the short role, I think in general, he's a really good passer, but especially in the, in the short role, um, he's really great at finding guys on the wings, uh, going back up to the top. If the, if the point guard stays up top, um, or if he's able to make like an interior pass to a cutter from the wing. Uh, he's just really great at, at making passes out of there. Um, he sees the court really quickly. He's able to scan through it and, and find the pass that creates the advantage. Um, he's also, like we've talked about already, like just a really great athlete. So he's able to, um, he has a massive, um, like Cooper said, a large dunk radius or a lob radius. Um, sort of reminiscent of Jackson Hayes coming out of Texas. Um, it's pretty ridiculous, the combination of those things, um, what he's able to do as a finisher, uh, but also as a passer. So it makes him really a deadly threat. Um, and I think he's got pretty good acceleration coming off of the roll too. So uh, just all the nuances that go into being like a above average to elite roller, I think Duran possesses all of those traits. Um, and I think it's pretty easy to see it's that it's going to be translatable to the next level. So I want to counter quickly with, um, I want to get a little more into the finishing. I'm with you that the lob stuff is going to be there. Um, I think he's probably going to be one of the best rollers in the NBA. I do have some worries <clears throat> with him being only six, nine that I don't know, like if there's good, if there's good big defenders, like could disrupt that a little bit, but I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm confident he's going to be a good lob finisher. I do have my worries about him finishing anything that isn't a dunk, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think his touch is great. He has moments where it's okay, but a lot of his floaters kind of clank off the back rim, or if they go in, sometimes it's off the backboard. He he never finishes with his left hand ever. Um, that stuff kind of worries me. Coop, where, where are you at with, with Duran as a finisher? Um, a lot closer to Bryce. He is like by uh, seven percentage points, the worst layup shooter by percentage of the four bigs we're talking about. And I wouldn't call Mark Williams or, uh, you know, Walker Kessler great high touch bigs, you know. Uh, they are bigger, definitely, but he's shooting 53% on layups uh, via synergy. That is not super great as an indicator for touch. Uh, his dunk percentage is also the lowest, but he also has the hardest <laughs> uh, dunks because so many of them were thrown by Amani Bates and Alex Lomax, which is not a great, not a great backcourt for lob throwing. Or Lester um, Quinones. Or, hey, or, Quinones or, okay, is, also... Every time Landers Nolly ran a pick and roll, there was an open lob to Jalen Duran that he did not throw. It was like I was like, oh, he like has negative by vision. screen. Like, all, all, every Nolly literally is... every single every single time he got a pick and roll in the middle of the floor, 
Durant had a wide open lob and Nolly took like a fadeaway jumper instead. Anyways, go ahead, Coop. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, he's just like, he's obviously the most, I'd say he's the most impressive dunker out of the four, probably other maybe than Kapoko, but he is like the finishing isn't like top, top tier. You're just hopeful because he's by far the youngest by like two years and that he's shown that I, I think with a team that like Memphis, their guards don't shoot uh, like he'll play with Malcolm Dandridge or Josh Minot uh, who cannot shoot uh, like they have a pretty packed paint. Uh, the AAC is really only good at one thing on defense and that's taking away the paint for the most part. Um, so it's a bit more understandable, but uh, it's just hopeful that with his IQ and touch and playing with a good point guard, you know, that'll, that'll develop. That's really the theme with Duran is that he's not actually like the best, most dominant big in a lot of these skill areas. He just has enough flashes and is like barely 18. So you kind of want to bet on it, you know, and he's playing in such a bad system run, you know, without a point guard shockingly run by a point guard in Penny Hardaway. But I, I do think some of the finishing concerns, I mean, they're valid, but also contextually, it makes a little bit more sense when you factor in that a lot of the times he's got like a, another defender within like three feet of him because the paint is clogged a lot. I was noticing like when he's in there, there's a guy trying to cut in or trying to prep for a rebound. And it's just the, the paint's so overly crowded. Um, he's, which it, that's going to be the majority of where he, his shot diet comes from. Um, so he's going to have to, you know, prove that he's more versatile in some ways. Uh, but also it's one of like the least ideal contexts that he could be in with the, the limited passing and also the crowded paint. Yeah, no, for sure. Durant at best played with two shooters on the court at any time. And lots of times those two shooters were Landers Nollies and Lester Quinones, neither of which are actually really that good of shooters. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a whole thing. Um, I want to move on to the passing a little bit. Uh, when I first started watching Durant at the beginning of the year, I had, I knew from his high school tape that he was a good passer and I was really worried that it did not translate at all because his turnover rate was sky high. He could not handle doubles in the post. He threw a lot of really errant passes where it's like it would just sail out of bounds or just right into the hands of the defense. But as the season went on, his passing improvement has been one of the best in-season improvements of any player this, this season. And I'm, I have no, no worries saying that. It has been really, really impressive how much he's been able to calm down when handling doubles, how good his interior patch, passing has gotten. The touch on his passes has improved a lot. Um, I don't think he's like a super high level passing big, right? Like, like he's going to get Bam comps. Um, I Bam has obviously had some outlier development as a passer. I'm not comfortable saying it's at all likely outcome Durant can get to that level, but I think he's a guy who's passing is good enough that if he has the ball on the perimeter or in the mid post, you can trust him to make the right decision there. We haven't seen him kick out the shooters a ton this year because again, no shooters on the team, but I think he should be able to do that. Well, his touch on lobs is great. So if he was playing with like a, like another big or like a wing that can cut 
or how, I mean, it's the NBA, even Trey Mann has thrown down some lobs this year. Like, like there's definitely some, some room for that there. I'm just, I'm really, really impressed with him as a passer. Are you guys with me? Where, where are you at with Duran's passing? I am all in on Duran as a passer. I, I think that outside of his, um, I mean, I think it plays a part in his rolling, to be honest. So it, it's maybe like my favorite offensive attribute of him because it's something he showed pretty much at every level. He's shown like elite flashes, I would say. Um, and like Bryce is saying, those flashes are countered with uh, turnovers sprinkled in that aren't great. Um, but the flashes really, I do think, are elite. Um he's shown that he's like a capable lob passer, which is something you don't often see for bigs. Um, and it just shows like sort of feel, especially when they're on the move, like Duran has showed at pretty much every level he's played in. Um, he's also just a really quick processor. I think like he sees what's happening on the floor very quickly and is able to um, figure out like the right pass or the, the pass that creates the best advantage uh, rather quickly more often than not. Um, the BAM comps, I honestly, like, I do really see it offensively. Um, the, I mean, the big difference is the handling. Like, BAM can run in, a, in an open floor, no problem. I don't think Duran is that. Um, and he's a lot less comfortable with the ball in his hands for an extended period of time. But I could see, I could see the BAM comps, definitely. Um, I don't think he's probably the needle threaded at Bama is either, but uh, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to like with, with Duran as a passer. And I think it opens up a lot of his game, especially as a roller, because that's really where um, it's going to come to light and he's going to be able to create advantages for his team. Yeah. I mean, that short roll passing specifically has become such an important part of the NBA game. Being able to make sort of quick reads on the roll is so valuable we've seen like players that develop that become so much more valuable offensive players because that you know i'm a jazz fan rudy gobert's development as a short roll passer has been so impressive over the course of his career because it's turned him from a passable offensive player to a legitimately good one who you feel when his presence is gone on the floor on offense as well as defense and if that can be duren with his passing it's really important it helps you know, it, it helps a lot. Like if you have a guard who can't get rim pressure, it opens that up. If you have, it just, it just opens so much up for team building when your big can pass even just a little bit in different spots of the floor. And I, I really believe Duran can do that. So you did mention the handle. Um, rudimentary would be putting it kindly. Um, I just think he straight up can't really dribble right now. Um, he doesn't ever look comfortable putting the ball on the floor. He doesn't even really do like when he's posting up, he doesn't even really do like back down dribbles beyond sort of one dribble. Um, and handle is not really something I ever bet on to develop really. You know, if anything, it's something that I feel like pound for pound is more likely to regress once you get to the NBA, especially from, from bigs who have flashed it in earlier in the career. You think of guys like Thon Maker or even Alexei Pokusevsky, you know, like they flashed handle and you thought maybe that's a real thing. And then they get to the league and it's just, it's just not against NBA caliber defenders. So I'm, I'm not comfortable saying Duran can ever really triple Coop. Are, are you with me on that? Yeah. I, he doesn't even dribble in transition. 
like at all. He'll take two dribbles and then throw an outlet pass. And to be fair, he's really, really good at outlet passing. Like uh, he, he is throwing them with one hand with two really like uh, if you can say one good thing about Quinones and Nali, uh, they know how to get their asses out in transition or in half transition. And he can throw a nice, a really, really nice outlet pass there. Uh, I think someone who I think is closer to Duran as a passer, because I think Bam's passing, a lot of his passing is really dependent on the handle. I think he's a bit closer to Isaiah Hartenstein as a passer. Uh, he throws a lot of those backdoor cuts. He throws them really well. He's a really good over passer. Like he throws passes over guys because he his wingspan and his vision, he can just go right over. He doesn't throw a lot of stuff low. Uh, Hartenstein threw a bit more low stylistically, but they're both really good at throwing from the perimeter to cutters, high-low action, um, and they don't dribble a bunch. They'll take one, maybe two dribbles with the ball. And I think that's more of a stylistic comp. I don't think it's perfect, obviously. I, I you know, I don't, not a big fan of comps in any way, but uh, I mean, the handle's just so limiting to the passing uh, that it's, it's just really, really tough because there's not even like flashes of handle. You're not looking at his handle like in situations and it's like, oh, he busted out a dribble move here. You're, you're not even able to do stuff like that. Yeah, it's not like Kai Jones last year, right? Where Kai Jones, you know, wasn't like a great ball handler, but he would occasionally pull off some impressive stuff. The end, there was nothing. <clears throat> in all the games I watched, I can't think of one like dribble move he pulled off at, at all. Um, the the there were there was this one, uh, I'm, I think it was against Temple that was specifically disastrous. I posted it on Twitter where he had just a one-on-one like transition play to the paint over like this 6'2 dude. And he couldn't, he just couldn't. It's it's hard to explain, but he just couldn't do anything with it. He settled for this weird, like one-legged floater again over like a 6'2 guard. Um, It was lucky that his teammate got an offensive rebound and got fouled, but uh, yeah, so the handle is just not there. Last thing I want to talk about with his offense is the shooting, uh, because I'm a believer in it. Uh, even though he's only shot 62% from the from the free throw line, again, the shooting is something that has improved over the course of the season. He's gotten better as a free throw shooter as the season has gone on. And I just, I think it looks good. Um, the mechanics remind me a lot of Anthony Davis. Um uh, he doesn't have the handle of the Davis to get into jumpers, but just in terms of turn, face, shoot, reminds me a lot of Anthony Davis. Um, I think, even though I mentioned I don't love his touch, I think his touch on middies is all right, and I don't know exactly how that works, where someone's touch around the rim is so bad, but their touch on mid-range jumpers is all right. Um, I just buy him as a, as a future at least mid-range jump shooter, um, at least if he has rhythm, and I think there's a chance, you know, however slight, probably like 15, 20% chance that he could maybe eventually stretch that out to three and take, take one a game or something like that. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be like a real three point bomber or anything, but he could be Jonas Valanciunas and take one, you know, once a game, you know, 1.5, three point attempts per, you know, 36 or hundred possessions or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I, I buy his shooting. Are, are you guys with me at all, or am I out on a limb here? I I am not with you. <laughs> um, I think the the best that I'm hoping for for Duran as a shooter um, is 
sort of that that little like 10 foot post up fadeaway jump shot that he likes to take he's liked taking it for the past several years now um and kind of a quick tangent but um I know some people like to talk about watching priors in high school and how it does matter with Duran, I think it does matter because of the context that he's currently in in Memphis. So if you have the opportunity, I would recommend watching some of his Montverde film. Um, there's some free stuff on YouTube and things like that you can find, but um, yeah, I think he's not, I don't project him as being able to space out to three at any point in time, really. Um, the touch, like you guys were saying earlier, just really isn't there consistently um i think the free throws uh is kind of a concern um a lot of them clank off and uh even with the the sort of short fadeaway that he likes to take a lot of them come up short um i, I don't know i just i don't really see it but i've been wrong um <laughs> mainly with isaiah stewart uh his shooting ended up actually going beyond six feet from the rim actually if if we're being fair isaiah stewart has been a horrible shooter this season so you're yeah. not completely wrong <laughs> yeah um he's been better than i than i gave him credit for though so i, I mean it's possible but uh i don't know i just i don't really buy into the uh the the flashes or anything quite quite as much as you yeah i'm in the same boat uh he has the one mini game that looks absolutely stunning and it's like oh my god this is like he's the most incredible young big man I've ever seen. He's hitting this incredible face up, so much confidence. And then in the UCF game in the ACC tournament, he took like six more middies in the second half. That I get it's the second half, go around, have fun from the exact same spot, exact same situation. Every single one of them missed in a different way. Some of them went right, some of them claimed left, some of them went hard, some of them went short. It's just like it's it's the kind of thing it's like run a Kendrick Perkins post up the first play of the game every single game I'll give Jalen Duran his midi see how he does uh, if he hits it maybe get him like two more if it's not going no big deal I don't think it'll ever stretch out to three the, the numbers don't really give me any hope that it'll stretch out to three he is shooting like 62 and a half percent from the free throw line on nearly four attempts a game uh, you know, not the biggest sample, but pretty sizable for a 30 game college sample. Uh, you know, it's 120 free throws right there. Um, and I don't think he's ever like the lack of, if the touch was more consistent, I think I would be closer to where you are, Bryce. But like you're saying, without the touch, without the free throw indicators, without more of an in-game sample, I, I just don't like the form looks fine but it just looks like he's a big man shooting the ball. And that's like, I'm not going to bet on big man form to translate. I think also oftentimes too, and we'll talk about more, we'll talk about this more when it comes to Walker Kessler, but um, I think people, not specifically you Bryce, but just in general, try to project bigs as shooters. If they see like any sort of thing, just because, they, they want to buy those flashes so bad. Like they want to, people want to talk themselves into being like, this could be the next unicorn type big because he shows flashes of that. Um, but it takes a while for guys, especially bigs to like substantiate that oftentimes. Like you look at Miles Turner, he was able to sort of do it on low volume, but it took a long time for him to really become like any sort of reliable shooter. 
Um, obviously, it came to fruition for him, but there's a lot of times where it just doesn't happen for bigs. Um, so I think people can really get sold into buying these sort of flashes and thinking that, um, you know, people did it with Bam too, I remember. It was like Bam had flashes of really nice touch and they're like, you know, maybe he'll be able to space out to three. He can stretch to mid-range, but I think it's it's a lot more difficult and a lot more goes into it being a big man shooter than, than people often realize. I really think that's fair. And even guys who are like bigs who are good mid-range shooters don't always stretch to three. You know, Coop mentioned Isaiah Hardenstein, who was like, in the G League could really hit some post-up middies and just has never stretched that out. But I, I don't know what it is with Duran. I just see it and it, it just something clicks with me where I'm just like, I think this is going to translate. So I could be wrong. And I think where I want to end, uh, another thing I'll mention with Duran, I think he's a good, not great offensive rebounder. He has good feel for it and he hustles a lot, but he just, I think he's just sometimes off with his projection of where the ball is going to go, if that makes sense. But the best thing about him is when he gets it, he's going to finish it. I mean, he's going to try and put it on someone's head on the putback. So um, I, I think he's a good, not great offensive rebounder for what that's worth. Um, before we move on to his defense, if you guys could give me percentile outcome. So say, I think we're all in the same boat that it's 90% likely he's going to be a good level three, big play finisher type. If you were to give me a percentile chance, like, he can make it to that level two where he can operate the DHOs and he can, you know, do a bit more playmaking and, and be that next step up as a big on offense. What, what is that percentile? And I know this is a bit, you know, definite, obviously nothing in draft scouting is definite, but just sort of a ballpark for me, I'll say, I think there's like a 35% chance that he can really down the line, make it to that, next rung up that level two of big not quite obviously to the efficacy of uh like like a um like a a joel beat or a bam out of bio but he can at least fill that role on offense if that makes sense uh coop uh if, we, if we're just going by percent i would probably go about uh 20 percent um I think that shooting and being able to dribble is really important to taking that next step up to that level two that you're talking about. And I'm really confident that the passing will reach that level, uh, especially from a standstill. Um, and like when he takes one or two dribbles, I think the passing is really nice too. But uh, I'm just, the dribbling and shooting, it just really, really worries me. And I think he has the flashes and ability to be able to do that maybe one day, but I mean, only I'm, I'm going to put it at like 20, 25% at the max. I'm in the exact same boat, I think as Cooper. Um, can I have said it better myself? All right, sweet. Um, let's move on to the defense, which I think is going to go a little quicker. Um, I, Duran is a bit hard to get a read on defensively because the wow plays really pop. But as we mentioned, he's always playing with another big. And it's, it's not, we're going to talk about Coloco later, who also always plays with another big. It's a little different because how do I, how do I, like Duran is not playing with either uh, DeAndre Williams or Dandridge, uh, Malcolm Dandridge, I think is his name. Um, and he's just, 
he's not always the primary help. It's almost like Memphis kind of splits it down the middle, right? They tend to have one big sort of on each block or each block extended up at all times. And if the driver is coming towards one of them, they step up into the help. But if the driver is coming towards the other, then the other big boxes out, seals out. So it's versus NBA defenses aren't really like that. NBA defenses tend to be it's the big protecting the rim because you know, it's pretty rare you play two bigs in the NBA. Usually you're playing four perimeter players in one big. So I had a bit of a hard time parsing through his defense. Um, I watched enough to where I felt comfortable. I spent a lot of time slowly going through his defensive rotations. And I'm just going to say my general notes, and you guys can just sort of tell me where you're at. So for one, as I mentioned, the, the highlight plays are awesome. Um, his his hustle and transition defense, he runs the floor super hard. He had this one play against, um, I think it was SMU, where he, he threw a turnover, and he then got a chase down block on the other end, basically with the guy, with the person who stole it unimpeded, uh, but he still got that chase down block. Um, he can really get up for some blocks, and he can also block some shots without having to sell out to block it, where he can body someone and still block the shot because he's long and he's strong and he could get up so quickly that he doesn't have to get himself out of position to sell out for a block but I felt like he was sometimes a little over eager in rotating there were quite a few times where he caught himself up in the air before the guard had even jumped because he was anticipating a floater or a, or a you know maybe a, a finish into him or something and the guard was able to make an easy pass or sort of get around him, get a step and finish that way. Um, he was just out of position sometimes, which isn't, again, he's 18. It's not horrible, but I think he was, he's, he's sometimes either a little over eager or a little slow to rotate depending on how quickly he's seeing things. Um, and and I, I, I like his activity level. I just, for me, it's tough because for me to take bigs really high, I want to buy them as either, superstars on offense or superstars on defense um we already talked i don't you know i don't think duran is a superstar on defense i think he's going to be a really 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 good offensive player but i don't think he's like a superstar on that end so it comes down to defense and i see pathways to it but he is undersized most of the best fives in the league are taller than him have longer arms than him um and I just, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a point where I, I can't really decide. So Stone, I'm going to throw it to you. Where are you at with Duren's defense as a whole? Um, I think I'm relatively in the same boat. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting at the combine uh, to see his measurements at like a standing reach because he is shorter, but the wingspan is, is pretty ridiculous. Um Overall, I think I doubt he attends the combine, by the way, but go ahead. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be a, a pretty strong defender um, overall. Uh, and most of that's going to come because he's going to be near the rim most of the time. And I think near the rim as a rim protector, uh, he's going to be great. I think he's going to be a really strong rim protector, um, not anything like a chat level which is unfair to compare anybody to chat really as a rim protector but um he's still going to be like a pretty elite i think rim protector and deterrent um farther out is where the questions start to come more into play 
Uh, I'm not really sure he's going to be somebody you ever really want switching out onto the perimeter. Um, I just don't think he's got the lateral movement. I don't think, um, like Bryce is sort of alluding to, he has the uh, the right use, I guess you could say, of motor where he's over aggressive or he's um, just a little bit out of position in terms of rotating. Um, I don't know. I, overall, I think if you play him within um, five, six feet of the rim, he's going to be fantastic. Anything outside of that, I have a little bit more questions and I'm not as high on him. Yeah, it seems pretty clear that he's only going to be able to play like max two pick and roll coverages. Uh, you're going to want him in drop or at the level maybe um, if it's not like a three, if it's not like a six feet behind the three point line pick and roll going on. Uh, I mean, he ends possessions well as a defensive rebounder. I really liked him, but like Bryce was talking about, Memphis sets up their bigs to get a ton of defensive rebounds. Um, and I, I think his hands are pretty active for the most part. He, when he's moving, he does the, the hand thing pretty well where he flings his hands in the air. Um, and he just, he does a lot of small things well. He also does a lot of the other small things kind of poorly. But it's a lot of, I think, big picture, he's doing the right stuff for his age. And I, it's, it's the same as the offense. I think that with the small stuff coming around, with being able to teach him, this is the proper NBA rotation. This is what you should be doing. And, I th- you know, the potential is there. The athleticism is there for him to just become a star in that role. I don't, I don't buy him as like, oh my God, he's so young, he's so good, he's going to be a superstar. But I think he's like, like he's not exactly, I don't think he'll be Clint Capella level because Clint, Clint Capella is 6'11", seven feet with a huge wingspan uh, and slightly more mobile. But it's like that kind of, like below, just below that level where it's like he's a, like Clint Capella is a star, but he's a star in his role, right? He is like the best or second best rim running center in the league. And that's still a really valuable player. Uh, but, I mean, I think the passing gives him a little bit more, but the I don't think he's going to be like a BAM-level, all-star, game-changing defender because he can do a bunch of different shit. Uh, but if he can just clean up the small stuff, he could really, really just have a huge impact on that on that defensive end. Like Bar said, I, it could not happen. You know, you're not. I'm not going to say 100% it's going to happen, but I, I think the pathway to him being that star that sub just sub star is is pretty simple i think that's a really solid overall summation of where i'm at with the um you guys mentioned like he's only gonna play a couple coverages yeah i mean he's not a switch big but i feel like that's more rare than people realize i think we want to call a lot of people switch bigs when they're not really switch bigs uh of all like the, the true true switch bigs in the league it's it's just Bam Adebayo, right? Like maybe Xavier Tillman as well, but Tillman doesn't even play much anymore because Brandon Clark has taken over a spot in the rotation. You know, if you're going to s- extend it to power, I guess I'd call Evan Mobley a switch big. You know, he plays as the four. I, I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is it's more rarefied air than we really tend to give it credit for. Most bigs only play like a few. Most bigs are, are either their fours or – they're they're 
rim protectors, right? Like it's, I don't know. What I'm getting at is I'm I'm still a little stuck trying to determine exactly how good I think that rim protection can be. And we're probably not going to know. That's the tough thing is there's so much that goes into NBA rim protection. And we've seen some of it with the Ren and we haven't seen some of it. He's not Chet. Chet is insane as a rim protector, does everything perfect. He's super long. He's super tall. He can get, you know, he like Chet, almost a perfect rim protection prospect. That's not Duran. There's a lot of holes in Duran's defense that you can poke at, but, you know, you buy the physical tools, you buy, you, you just, you have to sort of take a bet on it. You mentioned the rim running as his sort of most likely outcome. And, and, and what I've come to with Duran is I think it is very likely almost over 50%, as weird as that sounds, because almost nothing in draft speak is over 50%, but I think it's over 50% chance in my mind that Duran is a top 12 big in the NBA in his prime for whatever that's worth. I think he's going to be a good offensive big. He's going to be a good defensive big. I think the, the, the belief I have in him being great at either end is a little lower. And I just, for me with big specifically, it's hard for me to determine where I want to bet on that. So, so I just want to say like, where is the value with the rent? Cause we're going to see him as high as four on mock drafts, on people's boards, on people who I believe in CJ Marchesani, maybe the smartest draft mind out there has him at four. And it makes me question myself when I'm as like, I'm lower on Duran. I probably have Duran, you know, right now, I think he's nine on my board. He's probably going to end up about 14 or 15, which is good. That's a lottery big. I don't have very many bigs in my lottery usually, but that's about where I'm at on Duran. So where where are you guys in the sort of where you value Duran? What is too high? What is what is value for him? Uh, Coop, I'll throw that to you first. Uh, I want to start this with just a tiny tangent real quick that it's interesting how different big philosophy and wing philosophy are because if Jalen Duran was a, an 18-year-old wing, who was just okay at every single skill, he would be like, in my mind, he would be a super high ceiling wing, kind of like Moses Moody, for example, right? Like he'd be a false ceiling prospect, but because he's a big and has all these highlights, uh, you know, he's viewed, I, I think the sort of flaws that people view him as the like mega, mega upside big that we don't super view him as um and it's just interesting how the 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 draft philosophy for wings and bigs is is so different there uh but i think duran like it's really tough where to value him but like you're saying there are very few sure things in the draft and if i am picking at like nine or ten and i can get the sure thing 18 year old who will like I'm pretty sure will produce at the NBA level and I'm pretty confident that my development department can get the passing to a pretty solid level and maybe work with the shooting you know there's that there is you know the untapped potential you still have the appeal of he's so young and there's some flashes that it's sort of easy to to really sell yourself Um, and I don't I think right now I have him about eight nine in that area 
I don't think he'll fall, but you know, we also haven't done the deep dive on everyone else. It's just really tough to put him over a lot of the, the forwards that I have ahead of him at the moment, uh, just with the way NBA teams need forwards and wings consistently every single year, nobody's saying, Oh my God, I wish this team had a big, they really would have, you know, really would have gone further in the playoffs. You know, it's like there was one playoff series last year where that was the case. And that was against the bucks for the Suns, And I don't think their end would have been their saving grace there. It's just, it's just really difficult in a, a wing skewed league to have for me to have Durant higher than eight nine. Yeah, bouncing off that really quickly, I I I love how you worded that. I think it was done perfectly. Uh, a way I like to think of it is, you need forty eight good minutes at point guard in the NBA. You need three different wing positions to have forty eight good minutes in the NBA. You don't even necessarily need 48 good minutes at center because a lot of the best teams close with a four at the center. Um, that's just how it is in the in the modern league. You can hate it or not. I think I think bigs are still really important, as we saw with DeAndre Ayton being insanely valuable. As I still think Joel Embiid can be the best player on a championship team because I fucking love Joel Embiid. I think, in, in my opinion, he's the best player in the NBA right now. It's not that I don't value bigs. It's that if there are there are just more wings that teams need than bigs. So you have to be so good as a big. And I think Durant can be so good. I don't, like I said, I don't necessarily see superstar on either end. I don't see defensive player of the year. I don't see, you know, Bam or Joel or Jokic. It becomes a bit of a tougher sell at the top of the draft. I think how Coop said it was, was perfect. So I just... I think that perfectly sums up where I'm at. Stone, before I move on, where is your sort of evaluation of Durant at right now? I mean, uh, it's tough. I think in short, he's probably going to end up within my like 12 to 16 range, I would imagine. Um, There's a good chance he outplays it because I think he probably – has a higher floor than maybe we're giving him credit for. Um, because if you are, you know, a top 12 level big, that's a pretty safe player. And there's not probably a ton of guys from this class that's going to outdo that. But at the same time, there's only so much ceiling raising a top 12 big can do for your team. So it is sort of a difficult spot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's going to end up probably back in lotto for me, and I think that that's about right, given that sort of risk-reward re- um, opportunity. But I, I feel like I could be kicking myself, you know, in five, six years' time. Um, we'll see. But right now, I, I think that's probably where I'll land. That's also a good point about how we do our draft boards. We don't do them like – if we were to redraft this in 10 years, where are we at? You know, like if that's the case, Duran's probably top five. Like, I think there's a likelihood that Duran is a top five, six player in this class in 10 years, because most draft class only have about two all-stars about, you know, 12 to 15 starters and about 10, 15 more like real role players. And then the rest are, 
you know, couple of year in the league player type things. Um, so yeah, you know, if we were thinking about it that way, Duran is sort of a different value proposition because of that safeness. But for us, we are thinking with an eye towards team building, with an eye towards value, stuff like that. So Duran is a little lower. Um, let's move on. That was a really good discussion on Duran. I think uh, I hope you people enjoyed it, or maybe we just sound like rambly idiots. Who's to say? Uh, leave it in our iTunes reviews, um, <laughs> which we actually have quite a few of. And one on one of the podcasts these days, I want to read some of them because a lot of them really made my day. But um, anyways, let's move on to Christian Coloco. Um, so Christian Coloco, of course, plays in the greatest conference in the United States, the Pac-12. Um, so uh, obviously, big, big boost because he's constantly playing against top-tier competition. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, um, Coloco plays on the best team of the nation. Like there, there is something to be said for that. Arizona right now looks like about the best team of the nation, though I think they might end up losing to Houston. We shall see. Um, by the time you guys listen to this, uh, you won't know yet either. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, my money is on Houston in that game, though, for what it's worth. Um, but Coloco is really fun. He is my favorite of sort of – Honestly, made my favorite ever of sort of the bigs I've scouted that I went into deep scouting them thinking like, oh, this is like a second round guy. I don't really love him. You know, like the two guys we're going to talk about later. You know, I generally think of my my brain goes to rim runner, put him in a category. It's pretty low, right? Then I watch them and they move up a little bit. Coloco went from someone who I was like almost certain was going to be a second round guy to someone I have on the borderline of my lottery because I was that impressed with everything he did. I still have my worries and I will forever have my worries that he is just a backup big because almost every single big I have that worry with, that's just how it works, I guess. But I really liked a lot of what I saw with Coloco. I want to start with the defense. The defense is really, really fun. He's always playing with another big, but he does it. Arizona does it in an interesting way because they don't have two bigs on either block. It's either one big is down in the paint and the other's on the perimeter. And Coloco's done both. When he plays with Amar Bayo, he's on the perimeter. He's guarding the other team's four. When he's playing with Azulis Dubelis, he's the five. He's back rim protecting. And he's excelled in both roles. Um, you know, he's not like a, like a wing stopper or anything, but I was really, really impressed with his mobility. His length pops. He's 7'1". I want to say he has a 7'6 wingspan. I could be wrong. 7'5", maybe, I, something like that. He's long. He's long, and he shows up as long. He uses his length really well. He's constantly vertical. Um, he gets off the ground super quick. He just, like, his defense really, really popped for me. Coop, I know, you know, we've been having a back and forth on Twitter about this. Give us a breakdown. Let's start with the rim protection. What do you think of Christian Coloco's rim protection? It's really solid. Uh, like you're saying, he... Even when he's on the perimeter, he rotates down when he's playing with bio. He will rotate from the four. He, and that's a, a pretty NBA rotation, you know, rotating as a four down. Uh, like those are all pretty solid. And his stuff as the five, he's playing at the level and he does a really good job most of the time of stopping, like containing the ball handler and getting back to the big. He gets beat sometimes, like every big does. But he, out of all these guys, did the best job of really handling the guy at the point of attack, the opposing ball handler, and keeping him from getting penetration, and then successfully using his length, using his speed 
using his recovering time to get back to the big, flip his hips, either stop the ball from getting there, block the shot, contest it. Um, it was just, it was really impressive. All the small stuff that I saw from him on the defensive end was just so, so, so impressive. Uh, and there's, I mean, the advanced stats, I mean, I'm not a big defensive advanced stats guy, but if every single advanced defensive stat is saying, hey, this guy's pretty good and the eye test backs it up, uh, I mean, he's a pretty solid defender and he's got solid blocks numbers, like three and a half stocks, 2.8 blocks, 0.7 steals. Uh, I mean, he's, he's just kind of a force and I don't, Correct. I don't think he started the season like that. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I you guys have watched much more Pac-12 than I have, but he started the season a bit slower. You know, wasn't this absolute force. And then as the season's gone on, he sort of found his role. You know, like you said, I I think one of my favorite the in the UCLA game, the duel between him and Juzang, where Juzang would be playing on the perimeter, or not Juzang, uh, Hakez, him and Hakez, uh, Hakez would take him from the perimeter and. They would just be going back and forth. Sometimes Cloak would get the block. And then basically down the stretch, it was just that duel. And Coloco had him on lock. Coloco had him all figured out by the end of the game. And basically had, I think, Huck has scored on him one time. Coloco blocked him twice and shut him down for like three other shots. It was just really, really impressive to see him adapt, see what he can do. And he's he has functional length. He's just such a good leaper. And his understanding and like abilities, it's just, it's really, really impressive stuff. Uh, even if he is a bit older, he's 22. I think he's like there, he's like a year and a half older than Mark Williams and Walker Kessler. So that is a pretty sizable gap, but like the skill level difference there is just astounding. Like you don't have to make the assumption, oh, is he going to be able to smooth it all out because it's already there. I also think Coloco is better than those guys. It's something you, that's not going to get better with age and that I think he is a far superior athlete in a lot of different ways. Um, his, so, I, so Coop, I'm completely with you. His, his rim protection really floored me at times. Uh, and the improvement is real because I think it was a real adjustment going from playing under Sean Miller and playing with competent defensive guard. Like he played with James Akinjo, who is, not like a great defensive guard, but like a competent defensive guard last year to playing under Tommy Lloyd, who runs a completely different defensive system and like playing with guards like Kirk Risa, who, who dies on every screen or, or Pelle Larson, who's a bad on ball defender. Matherin is okay, but Matherin sometimes just takes possessions off. If he gets hit by a screen, he just kind of is like, I'm doing so much on offense. I'm just going to let Coloco take care of it. And I'm with, like, he does so well at just, containing the ball handler, you know, forcing them to take the shots that Arizona wants them to take. And sometimes those go in. That's that's life, right? Rudy Gobert gets scored on 48% of the time at the rim, and he's the greatest defensive center since Hakeem Olajuwon, basically. So, like, that's going to happen. But Coloco is so consistently in the right place, and he uses his length and verticality so well. He is – skinny and he looks skinny and he plays skinny that's sort of an issue uh, in the tcu game specifically in the last one he had a defensive master class and everything other than uh he couldn't do anything against eddie Lampkin jr once Lampkin had the deep seal i got in a twitter argument about this i don't think that was necessarily his fault because again he plays with guards who 
die on screens. He had to be really high up to prevent Mike Miles from getting easy looks. And then by the time he recovered to Lampkin, Lampkin had two feet in the paint. And there's only so much you can do there. But I, yeah, in general, I'm really impressed with Coloco's rim protection. I think his post defense is good too, uh, even if it's not great again because he's skinny. I just, I think all around his at the rim defense is good. Um, Stone, are you sort of with us here or, or are you going to be the one to temper us a little bit because we're maybe up in the clouds too high? Um, no, in general, I think Coloco's a really good defender, especially at the rim. Um, I do worry about his thin frame, um, especially because, like we were mentioning, he's 22 years old. So it's like, how much more room does he have to fill out? Um, or he's going to be 22 by the time the season starts. Um, and he's got extremely high hips. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities for bigger guys to bump him, you know, off course. Um, and not necessarily the, the same argument that everyone's going to use of the Jokic's and then the the cats of the world, but um, I think even just like uh, you look at maybe like the Wendell Carters or, or guys like that, I think they're just stronger and might be able to get him out of position a little bit more than you would like. Um, the one thing to go back really quick to the age too is age is important, I think, but in this specific context where we're talking about him and we're going to be talking about Walker Kessler and Mark Williams, spoiler alert, um, age isn't as much of a factor for me because I don't really see any three of them expanding their roles a whole lot. So there's not a whole lot for them to develop in their roles, if that makes sense. So age isn't as big of a factor because I don't see them getting a whole lot better um, in terms of what they do as they progress or given more offensive responsibility. Um, so that that's just something to keep in mind when when discussing his age. Um, I do think he's fairly decent on the perimeter, probably better than anybody that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I still do worry that he leaves a little bit too much space for shooters on guards. Um, that's sort of an issue with every guy we're going to be talking about today, um, apart from maybe Walker Kessler. Um, we'll get to that later, but uh, I do think that he's he's good at what he does um and he's a really strong rim protector really good recovery rim protector as well probably better than anybody else we're talking about today um but i do worry that there's some things on the perimeter and in the low post that i'm not sure he'll be able to clean up once he gets into the league yeah it'll be interesting to see again like like as high as i seem on coloco I always have this thought in the back of my head, like he's just a backup big. He's just a backup big. He's just a backup big. You know, it's, it's in my head a lot that I watched him. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of Dwayne Deadman in this game. And I thought of that as a good thing at first. And then I was like, wait, am I talking about this guy as a lottery guy? It's Dwayne Deadman, a lottery. It, it's hard. Scouting bigs for me has been the hardest part of growing as a scout. Parsing through these bigs. What I will say is, is with Coloco's rim protection and, you know, the mobility you mentioned, I like his mobility. I don't think he's ever going to be like a full-on switch big, partially because if you're switching him, you're taking away what he's best at and what's most important for your team. But I think if he, <coughs> if he's on an, an island with a guy, he's going to make him work for it at least. Um, he struggles with more athletic guys, but, but guys who rely on craft, 
he sits really well on moves. He is really like, uh, it, it really stood out to me in the Oregon game, right? So they have two guards, Devion Harmon and Jacob Young. Uh, Devion Harmon is mostly a craft guy. He likes to get into pull-ups. He likes to hit show hezzies and that type of thing. He smothered Devion Harmon. Like, like Harmon could get nothing going against him on the perimeter. Jacob Young, it was about 50-50. Sometimes Jacob Young just sort of beat him to the paint and the contests weren't great. Sometimes Coloco could bump him off his drive or cover there to contest. It was a bad layup attempt. So that's just sort of, I, I'm interested to see how that goes uh, for him in the NBA. But I think there's some potential for him to, at the very least, sort of scram switch at the end of end of the clock and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think the upside with Coloco's defense is real. You know, I think of all the guys we're going to talk about, even more than Duran, Coloco is the guy I'd say is like, maybe he could make a first team all defense compete for a deploy type thing. Like that's obviously a high bar and I won't project that, but he's the one of these guys that I'm like, I that's possible. And probably the only other guy in this draft other than Chet, you know, unless we're counting forwards who probably aren't going to compete for defensive player of the year, but I think could make all defense like Sohan, Kendall Brown and Tar Eason. Um, but I want to move on to the offense uh, because we've been on the defense for a while. Uh, his offense is interesting. Um, there's only so much to talk about, right? Like he hits some 16 footers. Those look all right. He's not a great shooter though, by any means. Um, he is a good role man. I think, like I mentioned with the defense, he, he just gets off the ground really quick. And that is so important for being a role man in the NBA. You have to be able to just get off the ground and get a lob before someone else can get there. Because even though he's seven, one with a seven, five, seven, six wingspan, that's only so much of an advantage at the NBA, as crazy as that sounds. You have to be able to get up quicker than the other guy and, and throw it down. He can really do that. Um, and then he has his moments as a passer. He's not a high-level passer, but he doesn't make bad passes, really. And he will see cutters. He um, So Arizona runs this high-low type offense to start their plays off. And uh, Coloco is always the high guy. Even when it's Tubelis in the game, it's still usually Coloco playing as the high post. And then they run these chin actions, which is just a lot of DHOs with back cuts with, you know, sort of fake, take the ball, roll out type thing, off ball screens. He's good at navigating all that. He doesn't throw a lot of turnovers. He doesn't get confused. He doesn't make super high level passes. You know, he has some that look really nice, specifically um, some interior passes to a fellow big or a cutter that look awesome. Uh, and, and Coop and I both uh, tweeted some out. Um, but I, I just all around, I think he's a good offensive player. And I don't have a ton to add. Uh, so sorry if that's the whole section stone coop, do you guys have anything you want to add to, uh, breaking down his offense? I think on a high level playoff team, Coloco probably maxes out as your fifth option offensively. Um, I just don't really see a whole lot of upside on that end. I do think he's like a fine um, passer, I think, oh, especially like you're saying, a lot of the interior passes are really cool to watch. Um, he's not going to be making high level reads, but he's most of the time going to be making fine, simplistic passes. Um, he likes to make a lot of passes where he's stationary at the top of the key or posting up and, and passing the cutters. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Offensively, he doesn't really do it for me just in general. Um, I don't think he's a negative on that end necessarily, but there's only so much you can expand on as sort of 
a pick and roll type guy. Uh, and I don't think he's sort of the, the passer that Duran is or the processor that he is. Um, and I probably even by Coloco less than Duran as a shooter. Um, I think his touch is a little bit more inconsistent around the rim. Um, not that it's bad necessarily, but I think there's times where he misses like pretty easy bunnies. Um, yeah, he's he's fine offensively. Um, one thing that's interesting I found with all four of the guys that we're talking about, um, Coloco's in the 95th percentile on um, shots around the basket that aren't post-ups. Mark Williams is in the 97th percentile. Durant is in the 93rd percentile and Walker Kessler's in the 96th percentile. And that's where the majority of all of the shots are coming from. So all of these guys are going to be like fine finishers, I think at the NBA level, um, because that's the shot that they're best at and that's what they're taking the most of. Um, but I just don't really see a whole lot of expansion for really any of these guys in terms of their shot diet and in the ways that they're going to be getting them. Okay, so I'll, I'll sort of play devil's advocate here a little. And my whole thing with him on offense is that I, d- I agree with you. I don't think he's going to expand his role, but I think that he's just so good at every single part of what he's going to be asked to do that it's really hard to see him not succeeding in some form. Uh, in my notes about him, you guys convinced me to switch to paper notes. I tried it out for this week, actually. Uh, it was kind of fun. Kind of annoying, uh, especially when it was dark. But uh, he is he he's my favorite screener that I have ever watched closely. Like he has such he, his he every everybody on this list has an awful sense of when to slip and when to screen. Half the, the all the other three will slip as often as they can. Every single time they see an two feet of open space, they are slipping. Uh, I mean, I don't think I've seen Walker Kessler set a real screen his entire life. It is awful. But Christian Coloco has such a great sense for setting when to set a screen, when to slip. And it feels like every time he slips, he's getting an open layup because the defense doesn't know whether he's slipping or setting the screen. And when he does screen, he screens with intent. You can tell when in the play he's designed a screen and when he's designed to fake set a screen. Because like you can actually see what the coach has drawn up on the on the clipboard. It's not just, oh, I'm gonna go walk around, pretend to set my screen, see if I can get a soft switch. No, he's running. He's running through the fake screen, setting a hard screen on the opposite side. He's doing all this different stuff. Like, and he sets screens, he sets them wide, he'll lean his body slightly. He does so much slightly illegal shit as a screener. It is incredible. I love it. It is so, so good. And he plays so fast. He plays so hard. He does so much of the little shit on offense that you need a big man like this to do that I like, it's just really hard for me not to buy him. Like even like the, the shit that Arizona does where he, they, they do the tip off. And if he wins it, he sprints straight to the basket. Like he does all the high effort stuff that you need him to do. He does all the little stuff. He's really good as a re-screener. He doesn't just like, kind of flip his hips a little bit he'll get there he'll set the screen it doesn't work he flips the other side you know he's just so good at all these little things it's it's just so tough for me to to not see him succeeding as an offensive player even if it's not you know if even if it's just as a level three guy like we were talking about earlier like there's no way he's a level two guy but he's so damn good at all the level three stuff that you know so this is sort of my issue is him 
Mark Williams and Walker Kessler mostly, I don't really see them breaking out of that sort of quote unquote level three mold in any, any time period. And that to me is problematic in terms of taking them near a lot of range because we're, we're talking about three guys that all are probably going to fill a similar role in the NBA and none of them really have pathways to breaking out into a second, that second tier of bigs. So you're trying to find like who can be best in that level three role. And even in the best version of that role, how valuable is that really? Because like we're saying, we're talking about two other guys that do the exact same thing, maybe to lesser degrees in some areas, but they're still good for 10, 15 minutes a night projected wise, at least to give you that, that sort of production. And is that production that Coloco gives you versus a Walker Kessler, who I think all three of us are a little bit lower on, is that margin of production wide enough to justify that large of a pick difference? If that makes sense. I definitely think that's a really interesting question. And I think that's sort of the whole thing with, with separating bigs on your board, right? That's, that's why so many people are, and and this was me for a long time and still is to some extent, so comfortable just saying, well, basically every big, except the top bigs, I'm just going to have 45 to 75 and just, you know, grab them or don't. I just, there was something with Coloco, man. It just clicked for me. I, it's hard. Like I'm trying, I really am trying to put my finger on exactly what it is. I think it's just that I think he can be so good at those things and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe he's, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a mediocre backup. Maybe he is Dwayne Dedman. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he is. And that's all he is. And then what? that's whatever. But I just, I think there, there is that real potential. I just, the defense, the, the hustle, what he can do in offense, you know, this is this is cringe because I'm going to bring up you know Nate Larue and and uh, and uh, Nate Duncan, Danny Larue and Nate Duncan, excuse me, who a lot of people don't like, um, but I, I like their stuff. And, and they something they talked about a long time was you know what's more valuable, the best second option. They usually used Clay Thompson as this proxy, or the worst first option. You know, whoever whoever that may be. Um, you know, right now it's probably like a. I don't know what Russell Westbrook was on the wizards, I guess, you know, what's more valuable type thing. Can Coloco be so good as a fifth option on offense where he does very little of your playmaking, but you know, he has a good point guard. He's surrounded by shooting. The defense is so good, you know, potential. Like I said, I really think there is, it's slight, but there's a world where he's a defensive player of the year. I really believe that. I mean, we saw Rudy Gobert go from 27th pick to Defensive Player of the Year. Um, we've seen Clint Capella go from, what, 22nd pick to last year there was a there was a world where he was close, at least, I guess. I don't know. I just I, – I don't know. I just see it with Cloco. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong, and I'm willing to be wrong. Maybe this is the Pac-12 bias blinding me. But I was really, really impressed with Coloco. Um, also speaking of, I, I don't buy the shot necessarily stretching out to three, but I think he, like, if you're going to give him all day, I think he will hit mid-range jumpers. He does hit 73% of his free throws. Um, so that's always nice. It's improved a lot from last year. Uh, I'm with you where the touch isn't great. It's sort of iffy. I'll also say, I think he's a good offensive rebounder. 
he has a 12% offensive rebound rate, which is pretty good when you consider he's always playing with another big who wants to crash the boards. Half the time, it's his job to get back on defense first and foremost because he's the big playing in the high post. And he also plays with a really good offensive rebounding guard in Benedict Matherin. So I, I don't know. I think he's just a really sound rim runner. And he's maybe the best rim running prospect. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say I've ever seen because obviously like I'm going to have Jalen Duran higher than them and he's kind of a rim running prospect, but he's, he's my favorite of all the guys I've scouted that I had in like before doing my deep dive in that 45 to 55 range, because they were just a big. And from what I had seen, they looked like just a big, because the more I watched Coloco, the more I really dug into what he was doing on a possession by possession basis, the more I fell in love. Uh, Coop, I, I take it you're with me. Yeah. And I think what, like the thing, like Stone is talking about uh, with like what separates Christian Coloco from Walker Kessler and Mark Williams. And I think even though he is older and those guys are younger and, you know, I don't see them breaking out of that role. It's that I, I do think that as much as we like to be like, Oh, you know, go pick up your backup five in free agency. You can get Nerlens Noel in free agency, yada, yada, yada is that even if Christian Coloco is just a high-level backup, I think that a high-level backup center who is as good at just his role as Coloco is has almost become underrated, especially for the regular season. Having, you know, like Bryce was talking about, the best teams are going to close games with their, their four at the five. But not every team has a four that can close at the five. You know, some teams are playing 48 minutes at five. Uh, Coloco can come in and not fuck everything up. I don't trust Mark Kessler, Walker Kessler and Mark Williams uh, every single game to not come in and fuck things up. Uh, and Coloco, solidly a better athlete, solidly better at all the little things. I think at the worst case, you're getting a guy who comes in and does things correctly. And that is really like, that's something that's kind of slept on. And I think that if that's your floor, and, you know, being like a real defensive force that, you know, really like Bryce is talking about, I don't, I don't know if I buy Depoy, but he, yeah, like, he's pretty fucking good. I I'm cursing a lot here. It's a little bit late, but uh, Christian Coloco gets me all rowdy. Uh, like he is good. He is really, really good. And it's like, a, especially in a backup who's maybe a spot starter, I think that's his most likely role, backup spot starter, guy who starts matchup-wise. You just want a guy who doesn't make mistakes. In that fifth starter, you want a guy who's not going to chase every single block that he can't get, who can block shots with both hands, who can slide with guards on the perimeter, who can actually properly play in a pick-and-roll coverage. And I don't trust Walker Kessler and Mark Williams to do that on a night-by-night basis like I do with Coloco. I will say really fast, sorry, Stone, I know you're going to go, and I'll let you go in a second, but you mentioned you think his most likely outcome is backup spot starter. I agree that's maybe most likely on a statistical basis, but my ranking of him is going to reflect that I think he is a starting caliber big, because if you look at the bigs in the league, I mean, past the top obvious Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Cat, it's mostly rim runners. I mean, it really is. DeAndre Ayton is sort of a specialized rim runner. Jared Allen, sort of Rudy Gobert, just really good at it. You know, it's like, I don't know. Most of the starters in the league are rim runners because 
generally your five is going to be your lowest usage player, or at the very least, if he's not your lowest usage, because he finishes a lot of plays around the rim, sort of your lowest, your least on the offensive importance totem pole, but your highest on the defensive importance totem pole. And I think Coloco fits that well. And I think there's at least like, like I said, my ranking of him will reflect that I believe his likely outcome for the right team is a starting big. Uh, go ahead, Stone. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, you're fine. And I think, like, with Jared Allen, for example, like, he's still, like, a really good offensive player. Like, he's a, a fantastic finisher. He's been able to stretch his shot out to the mid-range. And maybe that's where the disconnect is because I just don't really see that sort of outcome for Coloco. For me, I think more best-case scenario, we're sort of looking at, like, someone who's a Daniel Gafford, who's still a really good player in their role, but that role is still limited as to what Daniel Gafford does. And for me, that sort of limits, that puts a cap on his upside in term, and makes me value other guys' upside in this class a little bit more. So it pushes Coloco down, not necessarily because I dislike him, but because I think I'm just generally higher on, on guys with more upside and I don't really see that with Coloco, even though he can be a pretty solid, you know, big for 15 minutes a game, maybe 18 minutes a game. I just think that only has so much value. Um, and it, it is tough, like Bryce is saying, it's tough to evaluate that. But um, I, I guess we just see it a little bit differently, which is fine. Yeah, definitely. I think that's I think that's a good place to probably move on from Coloco. I probably went longer than we expected. Uh, these last two guys are probably going to have to go quickly because it is getting late. Um, let's move on to Walker Kessler. Um, so Walker Kessler is probably most notable for being the blocks leader in the NCAA this season. Just one of the most, in, in, you know, numerically one of the most impressive shot blockers in the country. I've seen quite a few people say he's the best rim protector in this class, which he is not, but you know, that I've heard that um, he played in an Auburn system where they had really, 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 really bad guards. Um, and that hurt him on offense, but it really helped him on defense because he just got dudes throwing themselves into him. The SEC in general this year was really down on guard play. Like they're just, weren't a ton of good point guards. A lot of them were content to hurl themselves into Walker Kessler instead of like being steady and making passes. Uh, and Walker Kessler benefited to get a lot of blocks from that. Um, he just blocks everything or seemingly so. Um, I'll be honest. I found myself really, really underwhelmed with Walker Kessler. I went in with an open mind having just watched Coloco. I was like, Oh, I, I, you know, I, I've seen the light. There was a big, the rim running big prospect who I loved Maybe he's the first of many. And I immediately watched Walker Kessler and was like, ah, this, this feels about right. Um, I'm maybe even lower on Kessler than I am on most of the rim running prospects. But honestly, I feel like it's almost likely Kessler's a top 20 pick at this point with the production he has and the sort of standing he has. Um, so I'll, I'll let you guys just take it away. Start, let's start with the rim protection. How good is he as a rim protector? The block numbers reflect how good he really is. I do not think that the buck numbers reflect how good he is um, in a negative way. Uh, I, I came in sort of like you. I was I, I actually sort of had high hopes because I hadn't really watched 
a ton of Walker Kessler in depth. I watched obviously a lot of Auburn because we did a Jabari Smith episode, but I wasn't really focusing in on Walker Kessler a ton. Um, the way he sold, I think, like in, in terms of especially more like mainstream routes is he has this potential to be like some sort of unicorn where he can shoot threes and be a rim protector. And I just don't think that's what he is. Um, as a rim protector, he seems like vastly overrated because of those block numbers. He jumps at really everything. Like in any shot near the paint, he will jump at and, and bite on. And a lot of times it leads to him leaving his man because he's trying to be like help defense and he just block chasing and it leaves his guy wide open to get an offensive rebound and put it right back up because he's so focused on trying to alter or block a shot. Um, and he doesn't have the ground coverage to really, or, or the quick um, foot speed to really pivot and, and turn and get back to his guy. So I think a lot of times the block numbers are inflated because of the fact that he's block chasing and it, it doesn't lead to high level defense overall. Um, I think he is a good, for what it's worth, like a really good shot blocker. Um, he does get off of his feet really quickly. Um, which is weird because he's not that great of an athlete overall, but he does leave the ground really quickly. Um, and he has a pretty good like second jump in terms of it doesn't take much for him to load, load off of, even though he isn't a, a high jumper, he has that wingspan that really alters everything. Um, he is good. I think at, uh, sort of tracking, um, where the shot's going to go up. But the problem is again, that he's, he's so focused on that, that he oftentimes ends up leaving his position where he really should be um, and it leads to a score that really shouldn't be there or, or be as easy as it is so I'm not huge on on the rim protection as it's being sold but I think he can be a fine shot blocker yeah uh Coop you had a perfect uh you and Stone I think came up with this a perfect comp for how it feels watching him so if you could give that and then give your takes on the room protection as well well i'll let stone reveal it because he's the one who put me on it real quick and then i'll 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 talk about the room protection so stone i mean he reminded me a lot of like a white hassan white side where it's just block chasing and not really caring a whole lot about the rest of the defense as a whole and it's fine when hassan white side is going he's a fine rim protector and a fine rebounder but oftentimes that leads to not a whole lot of winning basketball. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to pin how much value that has, um, especially in a class that, like we're saying, has a lot of other room protecting potential. Yeah, I, there's not too much to add over, over what Stone's saying, but he just doesn't recover at all. Uh, he doesn't do anything. He lets guys go to the rim so he can chase them down. Um, like, uh, like he's, he is guarding a pick and roll in drop and he'll let the guard get around him so he can get to the rim. And like, he doesn't put up any resistance. That was something else. I walked, I watched Walker Kessler before I watched Coloco and Coloco will wall guys off before they get to the paint, right? He's not stat chasing. He's doing what's best for the defense. Walker Kessler is getting blown by, it seems like purposefully, so he can then turn around and get a cool chase down block 
or hover over them like he like because you know he's a giant fucking white dude with his long ass arms and he's just gonna sit there hanging over somebody some tiny sec guard who's probably gonna have him in his nightmares now it's just like it it doesn't seem like he doesn't do anything any of the small things that are actually good for the defense it's all just oh i'm gonna go up and i'm only gonna be able to block the shot with my left hand and I, I guess like he's pretty good at tipping it to like they gain possession on a pretty solid uh, chunk of his blocks, but a pretty solid chunk of those blocks shouldn't even be <laughs> attempts at the rim. Uh, now he should be forcing teams into tough contested middies, but he doesn't. It's, it's really stark the contrast between like you can go through the box scores and I, you know, I'm, I watched the games, obviously I watched, nearly every single Auburn game between this, my own personal watching and the Jabari clip. But the difference is day and night between when, like when he plays an SEC team with real shooters or any team with real shooters and a team that doesn't have shooters. His two highest block games, the 11 block LSU game and the 12 block AM game are against two of the worst shooting teams in the country. Uh, LSU has two total shooters. Um, and one of them is Tari Eason, who wasn't a shooter at that point. He became a shooter throughout the course of the year. So they had one and a half shooters. And AM, who is just super streaky. If And they probably have two solid shooters on the roster. And if they're hitting, then they're a good shooting team. And if they're off, then they have zero spacing. Um, and it's just he, when he doesn't have to pretend to guard somebody at the three-point line, he looks like a completely different player and like an absolute monster. Uh, but there is no NBA team that only has two shooters. That is something that does not exist in the NBA. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, unless you're the, the Houston Rockets of last year, whenever we had 50 different signed players, you know, there's no NBA team that has only two, two shooters. Uh, it's like a perfect correlation. It's just ridiculous. And it feels like there's a lot being based on these games that will not have any translatability into the NBA. Yeah. Um, I think some of the reason, like you mentioned, like he lets guys blow by him. I think he also sometimes just gets blown by if he's ever out of the perimeter. He's, he's really slow. Like that's, that's the biggest thing I noticed with Kessler. Um, he's just kind of slow. Everything he does is sort of slow. He doesn't like run it all on offense. He mentioned, you know, it feels like Coloco's constantly running into things. That's not, that's not Kessler. He's kind of nonchalant. He's walking. Um, on defense, you know, he moves a little bit more. But, like, I don't love how he maneuvers around the paint. Like, if he's slightly out of position for a block, I don't trust him to get there, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like he has to be in perfect, like, alignment to get a block. And he's in perfect, he's in that perfect area a lot, but those margins lessen in the NBA. You know, he has a lot less room for air in the NBA. And I just don't buy that he's going to be able to close that off enough. So I, I I'm with you guys. I just, I honestly, I'm not confident projecting him as, as even an above average rim protector in the NBA beyond the fact that he's seven one or whatever with long fucking arms and, and just huge. You know, that obviously helps, but um, let's move on to the offense. Uh, I don't have a ton to say on the offense. 
I think a lot of people think he can sh- hope he can shoot. And if he can shoot, he's probably an okay offensive player. He shot in high school. Um, you know, he shot off movement in high school. He took pull-ups in high school. Like people really believed in him as an offensive prospect. You know, I think he has good touch around the rim. He does finish dunks well, like Stone mentioned. Like he's not an uber athlete or anything, but he does get off the ground pretty well for such a big guy. Um, I just I don't know what Stone, what is Walker Kessler on offense? uh strictly i think a play finisher um i don't i don't really buy the shooting at all uh i i think he's being sold as something he's really not and it's sort of unfair to him because he he struggles from the free throw line um i think he's sub 60 percent if i if i remember correctly um he had, looks really inconsistent as a three-point shooter a lot of them are coming up short um he just the shooting particularly um i know bryce is the resident shot doctor here but uh if you want to humor me for a quick shooting breakdown of walker kessler um it's it's disgusting honestly like that the left elbow comes out like an insane amount when he shoots um his right foot bends inward really drastically for some reason he has an extremely wide base uh, there's just a, a whole lot needs to change mechanically, I think, for him to really succeed as a shooter. Um, he has a really slow, like his natural release is extremely long load up time. Um, but when he does, when he is forced to speed it up, like from a closeout or something, his mechanics don't change at all, which I guess is sort of a good thing because um, it's not like an inconsistency thing. But at the same time, the mechanics just from a foundational standpoint are flawed. Um, so I think a lot's going to have to change there for him to really be any sort of shooter from, from beyond that three-point line. Um, he does have pretty decent touch around the rim, I think. Uh, and I do like that he's, he's pretty good at finishing with both hands. I noticed he's like, he's able to go up with his, on his left-hand side and finish with his right, go up on the, and vice versa. Um, he could pretty much finish with either hand on either side. Um, and I think that's sort of what he's going to be relegated to offensively. I don't, I don't really see a world where Rocker Kessler is given a higher amount of usage or is able to um, go from, you know, three-point line um, on high volume. Um, and I'm not really sure it ever gets there on minimal volume. So it, it really puts a damper in terms of what I think he can be offensively and how much he can um, raise the ceiling of a team. Uh, so it's difficult for me to see a, a, a really like high and positive outcome with him on that end. Uh, what did you think about watching him, Cooper? Uh, I, I was at, <laughs> I'm in pretty nearly the same spot. Uh, I'm going to do my fun trivia fact that I talked a little bit about uh, pre-pod. We talked about how bad it is for him to play with some of these guards defensively. Like he has to cover up for so much. But the one good thing about the Auburn guards, though they are small, is that they can drive into the paint and throw a wild-ass lob pass to, to Walker Kessler. Like, that is the one thing that he is consistently really, really good at uh, on offense is jumping up and catching lobs, mostly out of the dunker spot, but he can do it a little bit on the move, though it has to be a wide-open roll to the rim. He cannot move at all. There cannot be anybody in his way or he's going to plow them over or not be able to go, not be able to get to the basket. 
Uh, and Auburn does a pretty good job just because of how fast their guards are of being able to take advantage of that. And I think that's like the, the speed of the Auburn guards and the bad guard play and bad like team defense of like the SEC and college in general uh, really allows Walker Kessler to just be able to run in a straight line and jump really high. Uh, now I'm able to do my really fun trivia. So which I want you guys, I don't, you guys might know this already, but I want you to rank these guys from these four, the four that we're talking about, Mark Williams, Walker Kessler, Christian Coloco, Jalen Duran, from highest free throw percentage to lowest free throw percentage. Okay, I'm pretty sure I know this. So it goes Coloco, Williams, Duran, and then at last Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler shooting like 57% for the free throw. Uh, I, I think maybe swap Duran and, and Mark Williams for me. Okay, um, you're both wrong. It actually goes Mark Williams first at 74.3% from the free throw line. Christian Coloco second at 73.4. Uh, Jalen Duran at 62.5. And then renowned stretch big, incredible shooter, uh, really known for this stuff, Walker Kessler at 60% free throw. Yeah, I knew, I knew uh, it was bad. Yeah. Um, very disgusting. So I, I really don't buy the shooting from Walker. I don't buy much. I think, like, if you're going to talk about limited on the offensive end, <laughs> talk about Walker Kessler. Uh, because it's almost worse that he's trying to do too much that he can't do. And he's not even doing the, you know, the things that he should theoretically be able to do with his body, with his skill set. He doesn't set screens at all. He slips all the time, like I said, and he walks. Like Bryce was talking about, he just walks into stuff constantly. Doesn't really run unless he's just heading to the rim. That's, I guess that's sort of the the difference, right? In terms of him and like a Coloco or even a Mark Williams, is they can actually run the floor. Walker Kester's never going to be a threat in transition. The only time is if like one of his teammates steals the ball at half court, and Walker Kester's still on the other end of the court because he's not able to, to get to the other end quickly enough. Um, he's not quite like Luca Garza level bad. And that's, you know, not a slight on Luca Garza because I actually like him as a shooter, which Walker Kessler is not. So it's difficult because he's not really a shooter and he's not really like a consistent lob threat, at least like in the half court, other than like Cooper said, if he's wide open from the dunker spot. So it, he's limited to like being a pick and roll guy who slips down the middle for screens and is able to finish with either hand, which is not fantastic when you're talking about somebody who also isn't a Coloco level defender, um, you know, within the paint and outside of the paint. Um, I don't know. I, I, I walked away really disappointed with what I had seen from Walker Kessler. I was, you know, hoping I would see this three point shooting shot blocking beast uh, and he just wasn't that. So um, hopefully, you know, he it works out because I think in theory, a ridiculous shot blocking guy um, always has a lot of value. But if he's doing it at the Hassan Whiteside level where it's contributing to actual poor defense, uh, then I think we're, we're talking about a guy who's probably on the fringe of being draftable for on my board. 
Yeah. So for me, I will say that, yeah, I'm proud of it. We've done some cross-racial comparisons in this one. We did Duren's passing to Isaiah Hartenstein. We did, um, uh, you know, uh, Kessler to Whiteside. I'm going to break that streak because I think there is a world where Walker Kessler is like an Avicha Zubac level, you know, starting backup type um, uh, player. Like, I I don't know, because he's just so big. And sometimes that has value. Like, like Zubac specifically is not really that good at anything. He's just gigantic and he moves fairly well for how gigantic he is and that's enough to start 82 games in the NBA because there's just not that many giants who move okay if we're being completely honest you know so Kessler might be a starting caliber guy based just on that but and this is probably a hot take I probably wouldn't have drafted Avicii Zubac you know like I'm fine trying to get an Avicii Zubac level guy in undrafted free agency because there's guys like that, you know, or, or, you know, at least late in the second, I think Avicii Zubac went, what, 36, something like that. And he probably only went that high because he's a stash. So, uh, you know, teams always covet that a little bit. Um, So I don't know, like, I think 45 to 50 to 60, somewhere in there, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think I'm fine with that. Like, I I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I was with you. I was just a little disappointed. Like, there's a world where Kessler is a starting adjacent big, but I don't think they're, I, I think it, it's pretty unlikely that he is a playoff caliber player because even the Clippers, as good as Zubac is in playoff series where it really matters, Zubac plays like 12 minutes. <laughs> a game like it's just they just don't need him they don't want him he is a negative on the floor against a lot of teams so uh, I guess that's where I'm at with Kessler and that's sort of a high end like there's a lot of outcomes where Kessler is not like you know he's not even a good enough rim protector to start where he's more of like a I like a Hassan Whiteside is now you know I, I suppose or or what Andre Drummond is now or, or whatever so anyways um Coop do you have any final Walker Kessler thoughts you really don't like one of the most impressive, like everything that makes Avica Zubats good is the antithesis of Walker Kessler. Um, I get what you're saying. It's like I guess I haven't watched player. enough Avica Zubac, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I, he, I, no, he's like, he's just really good. Like he's for opposite athletic reasons, but the same reasons as a fundamental player as Coloco. They're, they're very different players, but it's the same general reasons why they are good. Like, like just Kessler, like good screener. And, good, and like he does all the little makes shit. Makes the right passes and all that shit. Okay. Yeah, that's what makes Zubac and that's, good. See, that's why I didn't want to compare Kessler to like Steven Adams because Steven Adams is like kind of that type of guy too. I guess what I'm saying is less like straight comparison and more like just I could see him filling that role of like like a, a starting big in the regular season who you don't want to touch the floor for very long in the playoffs. That's all I'm yeah, saying. No, yeah, I get that. But do you want to be the team that allowed Walker Kessler to play in the NBA? Yeah, so my final Walker Kessler thought is of all the guys we're talking about too, he might be like the best rebounder of the bunch, um, which isn't... Oh, I disagree. I disagree. 
Mm. He might be the best rebounder because unlike the other guys, he's the only rebounder on his team. All the other guys play with an, at least one other elite. Jabari rebounder. can't rebound like at all. Yeah. And, and then uh, he plays with that, he plays with every other position. And Alan, Alan Flanagan doesn't rebound either. Like, <laughs> yeah. Alan Flanagan doesn't know what rebounds are. <laughs> you watch. He's already at the he's already at the other free throw line by the time Walker Kessler's grabbing a grabbing a rebound. Um it, sorry, go ahead, Stone. <laughs> You're good. Uh he does box out like he, he uses his body well, which makes it even more frustrating that he doesn't screen like that you would like him to because he has such a big body and he uses it really well to box out, but he can't do it to screen for some reason, and it's really frustrating. Uh, whereas Coloco, who's, you know, a much more effective screener and probably like a hundred pounds lighter is way more effective. Um, so it's really frustrating because I think Walker Kessler could be a lot more than he is. It's just that he likes to, you know, block shots to a level that can hurt his defense and isn't a good enough offensive player to counter that. Yeah, I'll say this uh, too with the rebounding thing. Um, I, I actually had sort of the opposite take. I probably thought Walker Kessler was the worst rebounder out of these guys. Um, just rebounding is impossible to evaluate, if we're being honest, because most NBA guys don't really box out the way you're supposed to in college. And it's just, for me, it's just a like, like Walker Kessler is the worst athlete. Um, so he's, he's, I don't know. I, I think Duran is the best rebounder for what that's worth because I liked his box outs and his effort. So, anyways, let's enough about <laughs> rebounding. Um, let's oh man, we're getting so tired. I really hope people that are still listening to this part, our analysis is so okay. You have to edit so much of this. I have to do it. I have to edit every pod. I'm gonna leave this part in just so people know, but I edit like a shit ton out of every pod because uh coop and stone kill me. This is oh oh yeah we're the problem. Let's. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm the I'm the rambliest <laughs> podcast host ever. I feel like I go on, especially when it's late nights and we're talking about bakes and I just talk myself in circles sometimes. Anyways, Mark Williams, last guy, Mark Williams. Um, I honestly I don't have much to say. He is to me the stereotypical rim running prospect. Um, he's huge. He has long arms. He takes for fucking ever to jump off the floor. He is one of the, like, like he has to load up so much. And, like, there are times where he doesn't get a load where he doesn't even, like, grab rim. He's, like, 6'11 with with supposedly a 7'7 wingspan. And if he doesn't load up, he's not even grabbing rim. So it's, like, I, I just, I don't, that worries me a lot because I think, it's so important. As I talked about with Coloco, it's so important to just get off the ground quickly. Uh, but he is the, the strongest of all these guys. Like he's just a muscle man. Um, I think he's going to be a good post defender. So I guess if you like need to draft someone to guard Joel Embiid, I, I, I honestly, I don't have a ton to say about Mark Williams. If I'm being completely dead honest, I just, he's fine. He blocks some shots. I think his timing on, on, Rim protection is good. Um, I don't love how he maneuvers around the paint. I think he kind of lets guards get in too deep sometimes. And then his offense is just like 
I, I his offense is super just whatever to me. Again, I don't think he's a great lob finisher. Um, can he hit mid-rangers? Maybe. I've said every one of these guys can hit mid-rangers, so I, I don't know. Mark Williams and Walker Kessler are the two, I believe, least into hit mid-rangers, I guess, so for, for whatever that's worth. His passing is okay. It's better than Walker Kessler's, but it's, like, way worse than Durant's and Coloco's, in my opinion. I just... I would take Mark Williams 50 to 60, maybe. Uh, Coop brought up Yudoka Azubuki. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Doke. He's younger than Doke was, but I I don't have I don't have a ton to say about Mark Williams. Uh, guys, I'll just let you guys take it away and, and I'll chime in where I where I think of something. I actually start I... off or uh, Stone, I'll just take it because I'm slightly ahead of, of Bryce Step, and then I think you're a slight step ahead of me. So we'll, we'll go in a little bit of ascending order here. Um, I just like Mark Williams is finishing. Uh, he's, he's the best free throw shooter of the bunch. Uh, and he has the most interesting flashes as a shooter uh, from the mid range. Like he has the most random shit that he pulls out of his bag. Uh, I think it's really funny. I should have clipped it, but it was like a turnaround fader from Mark Williams in the post. And it's like, it's the goofiest shit in the planet. And then it goes in. Um, and I mean, he has the free throw percentages there. Uh, he's a really like power finishing is, I don't know, by me, I kind of looked down on it. Like if you can only dunk and get right to the, right to the cup and drop it in, that's kind of looked down. But Mark Williams is just really fucking good at it. Uh, he's also really good at tip backs. He has... I mean, he's not, he's like, he's like the second best of these guys at tip-ins. He's kind of like tied with Kessler, but at like 52% on putbacks playing, you know, he's playing in the ACC couple of, like there's some pretty strong bigs in there. Uh, you know, he's getting tip-ins. He has solid touch for just a power finisher. I think that he actually runs. He only has like North South speed. Um, and it's like all of his power is tied to the paint. Uh, as soon as he leaves the paint, he loses all of his power. So it's like he's in the paint. Even if it's like right near the free throw line, he's like, okay, I can maneuver. I can recover. I can do a little bit in the pick and roll. Oh, I can stunt a little bit in the paint. He takes a half step out of the paint. He looks like he's fucking in quicksand. It's really like it's the most bizarre thing on the planet. Cause you watch him on some possessions where it's like a tight pick and roll. And it's like, this guy's actually pretty good. And then he steps out to guard something at the three point line. And he looks at Godzilla. Um, and the point was to make that he is very big and unwieldy. Uh, something I I've noticed a lot. You mentioned him sort of losing track of guys on the perimeter. He loses track of guys a lot. He lets way too many people get behind him when he's protecting the rim. Like a lot of backside lobs or dump offs, like right at the rim. I really, that's like one of those, my pet peeves with bigs, the WSU bigs do that quite a bit where they just let someone sneak right in behind them. And it's like, just, just don't do that. Just be there. You're, you're huge. Just be huge. So I don't know. I just, another thing is, I don't know. Stone, you're the, you're the, the Mark Williams guy. You're the big, you're the only one who had Luca Garza draftable last year. So you obviously are just a huge fan of bigs. So just tell us why you would take Mark Williams top 10. Yeah, Luca Garza draftable last year, drew to me this year, right as it end. Um, Mark Williams, 
I okay. I I think I am higher than you guys, and I'm not even super high on him. So this might be an anticlimactic climax of Mark Williams talk, but um, he is of all these guys. Like I was saying, I think they're all projected to be probably in the same sort of role. Um, and I think I buy Mark Williams the most because defensively, I think he's just a more of a difference maker than any of these three. And I know you guys are going to say Coloco, uh, but for me, I think Mark Williams is really good in pick and roll coverage. Um, I think he's going to, like Bryce was saying, he's good at post-ups. Out on the perimeter, he's not as good as Coloco, um, but I think he has really strong like defensive instincts. Um, his hands are always sort of in the mix, uh, and a lot of times he's able to um, alter where guys are going to pass or where guys are going to um, try and drive in because he can stick his hand in there as a help guy, and usually um, he does make a difference in terms of uh, dictating where that play or shot was going to go. Uh, he's a pretty good screen setter, I think, um, when he actually does screen with intent, um, uses his body well. Um, I don't know. I mean, he has a really simplistic game, like you were saying at the top, Bryce, but I think overall Mark Williams in his role uh, can be as good of a backup big as any of these three guys. So um, that's sort of where I'm at with him. You know, offensively, like I said, with these other couple of guys, he's going to be the fifth option. And there's just not really a whole lot of room for growth. Uh, but if he's, you know, able to finish lobs uh, from the dunker spot and be a cleanup guy, I think he's able to do those things at a decent level. So there's that. Um, <laughs> but the other two guys aren't going to really do a whole lot to outshine him offensively either. So uh, I don't know. I just, like, like Bryce was saying, he can't really put his finger on why he loves Coloco so much. I can't put my finger on why I like Mark Williams more than the other two guys. Um, but I think he just fills out a role good enough to outshine those two from, from my perspective. Again, I think part of the difference is I don't see Coloco as a backup pick. Um, but I also, you mentioned finishing lobs. I guess maybe I'm overthinking this slowly big thing, but I don't even trust Mark Williams to really finish lobs at a high level. There are too many times I've seen Duke players throw solid lobs, not great lobs. Duke doesn't have great passers, but solid lobs to him that end up as layups. And it's just like, like, I know that shouldn't matter to me. Like it's a two points is two points, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like in the NBA where the margins lessen, I just don't trust him to finish anything more than like a completely wide open lob. And not all lobs in the NBA are wide open. Most of them are kind of contested, you know, NBA bigs are really fucking good and you have to be able to finish over them if you're going to catch a lob lots of times. So I just, I don't know. I, again, I'm not like out on him. Like I think he's going to, he's going to play in the league for probably eight to 12 years or whatever. And then, you know, whatever, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if or where I would draft Mark. I would draft him probably, but, but not high. Not high. I just, I just don't see it with him. He's just really not the type of player I'm into, which is weird because, like I said, I loved Coloco so much, and I was really open to to appreciating these guys on a different level. But I just, I just didn't see it with with Williams the same way I did Coloco. I will say too, something we didn't really get with 
too with Coloco is he doesn't have the best hands. I know. I don't know if that's something you guys picked up on as well. Like I think Mark Williams is like actually better at catching passes. There seemed a lot of times where Coloco is like doesn't have the ball yet and is sort of trying to figure out what he wants to do before he even has the ball and ends up in a turnover because he doesn't have the ball yet and he's already trying to go up for a finish or something. Um, whereas I think Mark Williams, a lot of the times he's pretty secure with the ball, uh, and he's going to be able to, you know, do <laughs> boring stuff with it. Well, I, yeah, I did I, actually, I picked up on that a little bit with, um, with, with Coloco, but I also think his, his, like his hands on finishing was a lot better than his hands when he was on the perimeter. Because like I said, I think he was just a step ahead sometimes. And he, sorry, go ahead, Coop. Yeah, I did. I did know Mark Williams probably had the best hands of these guys. Um, he didn't really, but he also had the simplest role out of all of them, uh, other than maybe Kessler. But I mean, Kessler doesn't get the ball unless he's dunking. But the problem, my my two problems with Mark Williams is the one that Bryce was talking about, where like I there were there are like three different times in in the season where Paolo and Mark are running on the fast break. And Paolo goes and he tries to throw him a lob and it bounces off the backboard. And Mark Williams is caught completely by surprise because he can't jump while moving or it takes him too long while he's moving to jump in any kind of way. And that's the way that a lot of lobs come in the NBA. There aren't very many, like against, if it's like a certain team, like I've seen it a ton with the Rockets this season, but that's because our paint defense fucking sucks. Like there's not a lot of examples of guys sitting in the paint and getting wide open lobs all the time, like in from the dunker spot. A lot of the ones that are going to come against high level teams are setting the pick at the top and then rolling in for the lob. And I don't think Mark Williams is going to be able to do that. I don't think he'd be able to play with like a Trey young, like he's not going to benefit a ton there because he's not a quick leaper and because he can't pick and then roll kind of thing and then also i get what you're saying defensively i that you trust him more but i only like i only trust him in like two spots coloco i trust a lot more in all the random spots and it's like mark williams is a solid paint defender and i trust him in the paint probably a little bit more but I trust Coloco in literally every other random situation in transition on the perimeter as a rotator playing with a bunch of different types of guys. I trust him way more in a bunch of different situations more than I trust Mark Williams. And Mark also, he can't contain both a dribble drive penetration and then the big in a pick and roll. Every time he flips his hips, he, he like isn't aware of where he is when he turns around. Right. Like he isn't aware of where he is and where the other guy is, where they are in relation to each other. And so he ends up fouling nearly every single time that he is tasked with containing a ball handler and then flipping to the big man. Uh, if he's able to stop the ball from getting there, it's pretty okay. And that happens a pretty solid chunk of the time. But if he's not, but if he's not able to stop the ball from getting there and he has to turn and stop the big, it's a foul basically every single time. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's about it on Mark Williams. Uh, this was almost a surprisingly great discussion on these bigs. I had a blast. Um, I learned a lot about who we are as evaluators, as we always do. 
Um, yeah, so I think it's time to rank these guys. I'm going to stop giving my big board updates for now. Uh, just it, it takes too long now. But you can I'll give you guys a general sense of where guys are at. Um, if you want to know exactly how guys are ranked, if you follow along with the pods, you'll you'll be caught up. Um, so for me, uh, in in my what is my tier five, or if we're just counting guys from this class, would be tier four. I have both Jalen Duran and Christian Coloco uh, around the area of Kendall Brown, Jeremy Sohan, Keegan Murray, those type of guys. And then two tiers down, I have Mark Williams and Walker Kessler. Um, don't really care how I rank those two. That's just sort of where I'm at. Uh, Coop, do you want to give your rankings of these guys? Yeah, so I have Jalen Duran in that uh, that Kendall Brown, Sohan, Tari Eason, uh, like that, I think it's the third tier for me at the moment. He's in that big chunk of guys who I don't really know what to do with from like four to 12. Um, and then about a tier below that, I'd have Christian Coloco. I don't have him in the Duran tier. I think the age and the potential upside for Duran is just too much. Uh, but I do, I do really, really love Coloco. And then a tier down, I'd have Mark Williams as like a second round guy. And then way, 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 way below him. Uh, wouldn't touch him if you paid, if the mob paid me money to do it. I would have Walker Kessler. Uh, yeah, for me, I have Duran pretty comfortably um, alone in his own tier of these guys. Uh, and then after I, in a tier below, I have Mark Williams, then Christian Coloco. Uh, together in their their own tier and then probably a tier below is walker kessler between those two um and you know like i said he's uh there's a good chance that walker kessler ends up having sort of the same level of success as coloco and mark williams in the nba so uh, it's difficult for me to justify whether or not he's worth putting in a lower tier or not it really pains me that you think there's a world where Walker Kessler is as good as Christian Coloco, but it's okay. It's Not all right. Good. It's a similar <laughs> career path. I, I'm, I feel like I might end up the highest of anyone on draft Twitter on Coloco. I honestly, I just like, I, I just don't, I don't know. Like I said, I see a real world where he's like a defensive player of the year candidate as crazy as that sounds, because I don't think those guys are as obvious as we tend to think they are. You know, I just, that's just not how, Drafting has worked historically. Defensive player of the years are rarely drafted top, you know, 10. That's just not how it tends to go. Um, so if, if I had to make my bet on someone, that's going to be Coloco this year. So anyways, let's move on to Tail of the Tape, and then we can wrap this up. Um, Stone, do you have a Tail of the Tape guy? Working on it. Okay. All right. Coop, I will, I will let you go first uh, because he is a Pac-12 guy, so. Yeah, I I made a poll and not enough of you came to my rescue. Uh, Bryce sent his Pac-12 hordes after me. Um, and so the common L Pac-12 uh, won the tail of the tape poll. Uh, so I picked Jalen Clark out of UCLA, 6'5 sophomore, uh, kind of like the kind of guy that I absolutely love. Uh, stocks machine for somebody who's 6'5", 3.6 steals, steal percentage, and 1.1 block percentage, which is pretty solid for a guard that's not really tasked with 
shot blocking at all. Uh, low turnovers doesn't like he's not an incredible scorer. He's not a shooter. Uh, solid cutter, really good offensive rebounder for his size. I just knows what he's doing. Can move the ball. Uh, shown a little bit of flashes, but doesn't really shoot many threes unless it's like wide, wide open, uh, and they're all assisted. Um, and you know, there's I want you want to see more stuff from him to really see him be like a an NBA guy. But uh, he's someone who I think could really break out with you know some of the guys that UCLA is going to lose this year. Maybe we'll see. Uh, and hopefully he'll be able to come back into a bigger role, get the shooting together and show that he's like a real NBA guy because the athleticism and the, the instincts are there. I just want to say Mick Cronin replacing Johnny Chuzang and Jaime Hawkes, two honestly not really NBA prospects in my mind with Peyton Watson and Jalen Clark next year would be a dream come true for me because they'll come to Pullman next year. Uh, so that's exciting because I really like Jalen Clark as well. He absolutely murdered us. Uh, Tiger Campbell was out and WSU fans were rejoicing. And then they were like, we're going to start Jalen Clark at point guard. And he made Mike Flowers uh, look really silly. So um, he's good at the sport of basketball, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going to talk about F. Oh, go ahead. It's cool. It's, I was just going to say, it's really not that hard to make Mike Flowers look silly, but uh, you can continue. Uh, Okay. My guy is going to be F.A. Albuquerque. Of course it is. As soon as we did the Pac-12, this was always going to be my two of the tape guy. I, I really I really do love F.A. beyond just him being a WSU guy. And I know Coop deep down loves him too because speaking of stocks machines, he is nutty. Uh, he's about 6'9". He has way longer arms than that. He has gigantic hands. Like, like his hands are probably bigger than like Coloco's even as in Coloco 7-1 and Giant. Like, he... he consistently is doing the Michael Jordan palm the ball move. That's like his go-to like thing when he has the ball in the post. Um, he, he has like, it's like a 9% block rate and a 5.6% steal rate. Just really, those are really good numbers for someone who plays as basically a center. He has highlight dunks. He's started to stretch it out again from three. Um, he, he's not great, right? Like there's obviously holes in his game, but I if honestly, I think he has a better chance to be like a real value add backup center than Walker Kessler. If I'm being completely honest, um, because at least FA does something different. FA can move on the perimeter. Uh, again, I think he's a better shooter than um, I think he's a better shooter than uh, Kessler. So I don't know. I still like FA. He was a guy who a lot of people had on their radar. And then he started off the year kind of slow. He was doing with a knee injury and just, you know, it's, it's almost too late. Uh, you know, CJ pointed this out with Jabari Walker, where in the first half of the season, he shot like 29% from three. And in the back half, he shot like 43. If you flip those numbers, Jabari Walker's probably looked at as like, a, a, you know, a, almost a certainty first round pick type thing, but because he improved throughout the season, but sort of by the time everyone has built their, you know, people, especially the consensus, feels like they sort of build their draft board by December. And if you haven't, there's very few guys will break onto that, right? You know, maybe a Malachi Branham, guys like that, but there's not a ton of room for guys to be added to that. They're just automatically looked at as guys for next year. But, you know, if you were to take the season as a whole and not build your draft board until 
you know, what's when's the season over April, I guess. I feel like FA would be on draft boards. So I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I I still really like FA. I still think he's going to be an NBA guy. I think he comes back next year. Hopefully he starts off how he's ended this season. Uh, and the Cougs could potentially have two, three potential NBA guys on their roster if they get the right transfers in. Um, Stone, do you have a tail of the tape guy? Uh, unfortunately, I do not. Um, you guys, it's actually your fault. You should be reminding me that we have tail of the tape every week. You could do Muhammad Gay if you want. I could. Uh, we're just gonna... Stone, Stone doesn't want to do Jamal Shedd. Let's just, well, no one wants to do Jamal Shedd because you, you, you're trying to convince people he's like a lottery prospect, but he's like, I'm not trying to say he's, he's lottery. Like, he's I like just a, think he's actually a guy. You were like, That's okay, my thing. you were like, you like made an edit of him and Chris Paul. Top five point guard that's, ever, Chris Paul. That's gonna be that's gonna be released if the Cougs win on Thursday. I don't. Okay, but but I don't I don't actually think he's Chris Paul. I just thought it was funny. Yes, he did. Um, I, I that's honestly it's, it's, Jamal seventy as, as like an undrafted free agent. Sign me up. He does he's, some cool he's, things. He's he is he is everything that you talk about liking with backup guards, and that's that's where I'll leave it. Yep. Fair enough. All right. Does James Akinjo count? Nope. Okay. We're done. Fuck James. We're done. That's time to go. And we are wrapping up. uh, Okay. All right, everybody. (laughs) This was, this was great. Um, I have some editing to do. uh, So that'll be fun. Um, But yeah, this was awesome. Uh, Follow us at Upset Swings on TikTok, on uh, Twitter. Give us a rating and review on all the podcast places, wherever, however that works. Um, Follow Coop at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop. Follow Stone at report underscore court, and I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. This has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you. We'd like to thank our sponsors once again at Global Shop Solutions. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thank you.